Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 236th episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Shauna Mace. Shauna is the founder of Inspire Growth, a sales consulting firm that helps financial advisors establish and refine their business development processes to more systematically convert leads into clients. What's unique about Shauna, though, is her focus on helping advisors achieve real growth results without coming across as too salesy, by instead teaching advisors how to create relevance for prospects, by actively listening to their responses to open-ended questions, uncovering needs, and demonstrating what working together would really entail. In this episode, we talk in depth about Shauna's three goals of listening during initial meetings with leads, which includes determining if the lead would be a good fit for the advisor, uncovering their most pressing needs, and booking the next meeting to keep the process moving forward, if appropriate. The importance of asking the potential client for permission as they move through the fourth stage of the sales process from becoming a lead all the way to either being won or lost. And Shauna's suggested cadence for following up with his prospects as many times as seven over the span of a month. We also talk about the gaps that Shauna finds that advisors have in their business development process, particularly when it comes to overcoming the mindset that they're simply not good at sales which can otherwise lead advisors to not prioritize developing those skills as a result. The ways that Shauna helps her financial advisor clients bridge those gaps by systematizing the workflows, templates, and execution of a sales process so they can feel more confident in their ability to grow. And the key performance indicators that Shauna feels are the best measure to determine whether or not the dollars an advisory firm is allocating towards marketing are really being used effectively. And be certain to listen to the end where Shauna shares her experiences going on her own to launch a new consulting business just as the world was coming to grips with the reality of the pandemic. The importance of having an action plan for each and every day and executing on that plan, especially when you're in the early stages of growth. And the emphasis that Shauna puts on prioritizing self-care and setting personal goals, both for herself and the advisor she works with, as a means of managing the inevitable stress that arises from being an entrepreneur. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Shauna Mace. Welcome, Shauna Mace, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Thank you, Michael, for having me. I'm I'm excited about today's discussion and talking about what I think for a lot of our advisor audiences is kind of a taboo bad word, sales. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, we. Uh, I think for so many in the in the advice world, until relatively recently, you you couldn't really start out getting a job in the advice business, right? You start out getting a job in 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 the product business, you know, in insurance products, annuity products, investment products, some kind of product. And you know, if you if you were good enough and you did it long enough, you were allowed to go back and get more education and become an advisor who could actually charge planning fees and get paid for advice and and, and maybe morph into an advisory model. And and so so many of us, I think, kind of grew up in a sales world, if only because we had to. You know, sometimes saw the the not so positive parts of sales in the product sales world. And and I find particularly in our our sort of fiduciary advice realm, 
there's really this very negative connotation around sales and anything salesy or sales oriented. And, you know, I've always been struck that at the end of the day, like even if you're in the advice business, I mean, you, you still have to sell something. I mean, you're selling yourself and your expertise and your firm's services, but like you still have to sell. You still have to convince someone at the end of the day to agree to do business and sign an agreement and pay you. And I, you know, I, I, I worry at this point, I think maybe the pendulum has swung so far that even and especially amongst the advice community, you know, we, we don't even talk about what it takes to be effective at selling the value of advice, selling ourselves and our skills and our capabilities and our services to the point that I, you know, I'll admit sometimes I, I worry that our advice world isn't growing faster because we've, we've put sales in such a negative light and connotation that we don't even get around to figure out how to help ourselves to like to sell the great stuff that we do more effectively. Yeah. I, I mean, even just to, to influence clients' decision-making, right? That's sales. And I'm with you. I think, you know, I started my career very much. If, if you told me I would be doing sales consulting, I would have laughed at you. Very similar mindset of sales is bad, sales is negative. And what I learned over the years is that sales is really about relationship building and relevance. And, and I think for me, a big part of why I started Inspire Growth is about this mission, this larger mission of redefining sales specifically within the REA community within financial services, because yeah, it does have a bad rap. And at the same time, the, the people it's hurting the most to not have this mindset process or, or skill set is, are the advisors, these great advisors who, you know, if they could get more clients and more of the right clients could have a real impact on their lives. So I, I really understand and empathize with the kind of the negative mindset around sales. And at the same time, it's just my mission to, to help people own, own and become really proud about their ability to build these deep relationships and deliver relevance and influence in you know, the way that they define sales, not letting the industry define it, but letting them define what that means to them and do, be doing it in the way that, that really makes sense for their business and their own, their, their values. So I'm, I'm struck around your framing of, of saying you know, sales is about relationship building and relevance that I, I, I feel like I see a lot of advisory firms do a, at least a version of that, which is essentially like, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with my clients some time with prospects as well. I, I, I try to show how the stuff that I do is so great. And then, you know, I, I let them reach out and sign up when they're ready. And, and there is sort of this, like, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to build relationships. I'm trying to show that I'm relevant, but they don't always get the desired results. There's, you know, I, I, I see a lot of advisors that at the end of the day are really frustrated that I do good work. I know I do good work. My clients love what I do. I'm not getting very many new clients. My phone is not ringing. They're not reaching out. And and in fact, sometimes I see people I'm talking to end out sign up with another advisor who I know isn't as good at this as what I do. But for some reason, they sign up with that person and not me. That I don't know. Like I, I, I guess help me understand. I mean, is there a difference between you know? I, I try to create relationships with with prospects and 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 clients and show that I'm relevant and and you know l- let them sign up and decide to work with me when they're ready. And what you're talking about when you say sales is about relationship and building and relevance, like is there a difference here between what what we do and what you're talking about? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it comes to imagine like you know you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you there's something you need to work on with your health. 
Now, the whole reason why there are these like, you know, holistic, you know, pr- more private practice doctors today is because there is this, this kind of need for someone to support them along the way. And by just my doctor meeting, seeing them once a year and them giving me some advice on my health, is that going to change my habits and behavior? Probably not, unless it's really dire and I really am motivated by the diagnosis. And, you know, I think it's the same thing for in potential investors and clients, you know, the the creating that urgency and action is is they need someone to help help them understand. And it's really when I say relevance, what I mean by relevance is, is about real need. So it's about uncovering, uncovering real needs for your investors and for your clients and helping them. And sometimes they don't recognize there's a need there. And that's where there's that guidance is needed. And that's, so my background is in consultative sales and it really is about need-based sales where you're really understanding, listening to have a specialty in a specific group of advisors or, you know, with someone you're speaking to. And you are not focused on like, why is financial planning and investment management important, but you're talking about it in a way that's relevant to them, a relevant, like, it's it's really of just changing the conversation around making it ar- around what is relevant for them at that moment in time and part of that comes from really from listening and understanding part of it comes from just having the experience and working with these sort of people and you know you know things that they don't because you've been through this you know hundreds of times this is their first time going through whatever it is you know maybe it's retirement or a, a job change or some life transition and that's the real value and that's you know, that's where you start to build influence in that you can help not only articulate what, help them articulate what the need is, and you can help guide them in, to gain clarity on what the goals are, but you you then can create the urgency around, okay, this is how we address it. This is the next step. It's much more about uh, quarterbacking in, with intention versus just kind of sharing what value you can provide. So the, I think the key things that I would say are really, it's like about being intentional and leading with needs. So can you can you maybe just give me an example and 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 help us visualize this a little bit more cuz I'm 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 just like I'm envisioning the I know what I what I think is the the average advisor who's sitting in front of a prospect saying, you know, we 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 provide comprehensive financial planning. It's always customized to your individual needs and circumstances. We can help you with, you know, whatever it is that you're going to deal with along the way to try to bring you some peace of mind in your financial life. You know, we have you know, CFP certification and years of experience to do this well. You know, like we, we, I think, try to talk about in a way that we believe is relevant and is going to address their their needs and circumstances, particularly since the whole nature of comprehensive financial planning is like, whatever it is you got to deal with, like, I'm here for you. Like, why is that still not working so well for us? Like, what's what's the difference between that and and what you're talking about? Like, is that relevance or is that not really relevance? And there's a different way we should be positioning it. So I would be starting with, so if I think about a sales process and having that first conversation with a lead who's maybe unqualified, or maybe they are qualified, they you know that this could be a great client. That first conversation is, you know, hopefully is much more the prospect talking. So it'd be instead of, it'd be starting with like, you know, I would love to learn more about you, period. <laughs> like let them talk. It's about listening and picking out the things of relevance and and then and then positioning yourself or your services or your value or your process or your team or experience. Like you're customizing, to some extent, you're customizing how you're framing the value of the engage, potential engagement and the potential impact. And you're bringing it to life through in their own words. You're bringing it to life based on their actual needs. You're helping to uncover needs in some cases where you know they may not be able to articulate it. 
or you're listening between, you know, you're, you're, you're taught, you're listening for what you're not actually hearing or what they're not saying. And it's really less about giving, delivering the elevator pitch and more about being really interested in them first and then using what you learn to help to help provide relevance around the conversation and what in, in, you know, all centered around what's in it for them and, and kind of bringing to life what that might look like if they were to partner with you. So again, I would, I would really, you know, not be talking about myself really at all until maybe later in the conversation. It's really about just getting to know them as a person, getting to understand more about why, you know, what made them actually reach out to you? What made them ask for that referral? What brought them to that point? There's obviously a reason. And really just listening first and and then that informs how you, you what other questions you ask or the way in which you position yourself and your solutions. So can you give me an example of this? So like I'm still just trying to vision like what what is different between what you're talking about and us saying like, well, you know, we provide comprehensive financial planning for all of your all of your retirement needs because you know I specialize in retirees. Like you know, we, I feel like we say we're here to help with anything that they need. So tell me more about what what you need. But it's clearly not working that well for most of us because most firms are not not exactly crushing it on organic growth from cli- from new clients. Yeah. So if you so if I'm the advisor and you're the client, and I you know Michael, thank you so much for for the time today. You know I'm really interested. Tell me more about yourself. You know I don't know where you'd bring that. You could bring it. You so, you know, I've been, you know, bi- building some businesses for a while, thinking about getting to the point of, of retiring here, but I'm not really, not really sure how to make the, the transition. You know, I've been working these businesses for so long. I, I'm, I'm not even sure I know what to do with myself if I retired. Okay. Okay. So that's really interesting. So it sounds like you've been, you're, you're in, kind of at the cusp of this new chapter in your life. I mean, tell me, like, how does that feel? That must be on one hand exciting and on the other hand, very scary. What is, what does that feel like? No, it kind of feels like a scary leap. I've spent so much time in in the business and the work that we do, and I really, really enjoy the work that we do. So, you know, I like there's there's enough value to the business that I could I could sell it and retire, but I I don't really know what I would do even if I did. So, just kind of keep working because I guess I have nothing else to do. Got it. So, is part of the part of uh, your financial situation even figuring out if you're going to sell a business or not? Yeah, I guess I'm not even sure if I would. Like, there's value, but I don't know what I'd do with myself if I did. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So it's like, if, if you even did, what's next for you? Interesting. Well, it's funny. I, we actually work with a number of business owners who have gone through transitions like this. And part of our process is helping them think through not just the financial implications of that, which are obviously very important, but also helping them gain clarity, gain clarity on what is the future that they really desire and how can we make that possible and what that looks like from a financial perspective. What's the impact depending on the decision you make? Is that something that would be helpful? Yeah. I mean, that that's basically what I'm dealing with, like what you've done with all of your other clients. Like that's what I need. Okay. So like that, cool. <laughs> that's an example, right? So it's about understanding, you know, what is really going on. And I, that was really quick. I mean, part of it can also be taking a journey, kind of dreaming with them, like getting them excited about some future that they maybe are really, they, they say they want, but they're maybe a little afraid to take that leap. And they're saying it's because of the impact to my financial situation. Likely it's a lot of other things too. And so, you know, again, as an advisor, I think there's this, you have this, you wear the many hats. You are, you know, a technical expert, whether it's planning, investments, both, or some other area of expertise, but then you also are, you know, largely a therapist or coach. And, and part of that is, you know, 
I'm a, I have coach training. So I'm a high, certified high performance coach and I have gained a lot of and, and increased my acumen in sales just by going through that because so much of it is just continuing to dig in and ask open-ended questions and really helping to guide the prospect or the client to the to the answers that are already within them. They just maybe don't realize it. And so it's less about sales in general. These conversations are less about telling them what they need or like diagnosing them and more about taking the journey with them to help them uncover and acknowledge on their own the needs that are there. So you gain real quick buy-in and rapport by structuring the conversations in a series of, you know, asking open-ended questions, listen, clarify, continue to clarify until you get some acknowledgement, asking another open-ended question, if it makes sense. And and the other thing is like, you don't have to ask a thousand open-ended questions. You know, there's a point of uh, question fatigue where, you know, once you get general buy-in and you can make some recommendation on a next step, do that. Because you don't want to be asking like 20 questions and be on the phone for an hour. The first meeting, the first meeting should be pretty brief. It's about like quickly connecting, not quickly connecting, but connecting and quickly trying to really get at the crux of like, what's going on here? And can I help? And maybe the answer is no, I can't. And hopefully you have someone you can refer them to, or there is some advice that you can give them to support them in, you know, kind of the next stage of their discovery process and how do I solve these problems. But it really is about initially the sales process starts with very consultatively listening, asking open-ended questions and clarifying to, to get to the root of what's going on. So is there a particular sales, I guess, like series of sales questions or or script or like things that you start using to open this journey and conversation in particular? I mean, the first one that I use all the time and I, I advise my clients to use is literally to ask the question, you know, I'd love to learn more about you. You know, tell me your story or, or tell me what brought you here today. And just let them talk. Or just, I'd love to learn more about you in the in the very beginning, 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 like that first conversation. Because that is very open and they're going to take it where they want to take it. And that in itself is, is really powerful information. Where you go from there, you know, you there's three different levels of listening. And in, in that first conversation, you do want to, I mean, you want to have some sort of agenda, right? Like you're trying to, the goal of that first meeting is to first qualify, right? Like, is this someone who even should be a client and I can help would be someone that I want to take on as a client and to uncover needs. Do I have, am I the right person to help this potential client? And so, you know, you know that those are your, your goals. And then if you check those boxes, the next step is the goal is to get the next meeting so that you start to really do your discovery and gather more of the, you know, the, the quantitative information that you need to, to do some of the work that you're, you're going to do with this, this prospect and hopefully client. And so, yeah, I, you know, the first one's just very open, you know, tell me more about yourself, see where they take it. And, and what you want to do with your follow-up questions is your goal is to uncover a need. It doesn't need to be every single need they have. That's part of, you know, you can do that later, but your goal is to uncover enough of a need or needs that they have, that they acknowledge that you can make a recommendation based on what you're hearing. And that's really important, that idea of, and it's okay to take a, you know, take a stab. And if they're like, no, it's not actually really it, because that gives you and gives them information. And you're like, okay, well then what, you know, tell me more about, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z. So it's okay to like re reiterate what you're hearing, like acknowledge what you're hearing and check in with them. So for you, you know, it sounds like you're in this transition and you really, you know, the first step, it sounds like is just, what do you, what decision are you going to make as you continue t- 
toward, you know, the end of your, your business journey, or maybe not, like, is it, you're going to sell the business or you're not like, I'm interested to learn more about what are some of the concerns there? What are some of the questions that you would like to have answered? And, and again, open-ended questions. And you can take that just, you just need enough of a nugget to say, okay, based on your situation, you can ask more questions, of course, based on your situation, you know, I think we can really help. This is how we've worked with people like you in, in the past, but with other, in other, in the past. And can you explain a little bit more just what that recommendation, as you put it, is is building up to? Because I think for a lot of us, uh, you know, when I when I hear recommendation, I'm thinking like, you know, well, we we just had a conversation, gathered some information, so I'm making like the recommendation, you know, like the financial advisor planning recommendation, and then my alarm bells are going off, like haven't really gathered all the data, don't know if I know all your information yet, didn't put it in my planning software, haven't done my analysis. So like, what what level of recommendation are we talking about when you're saying like? We're trying to uncover a need and get to a, a, a quote recommendation in the first meeting here. Yeah, that's a great question. So the recommendation is how you could engage as a client and advisor. So it's not a recommendation on what to do in your portfolio or what to do as far as planning. It's a recommendation on how you can partner, how I can help address the needs you have. So you know, many advisors have different they have one service model or, or multiple. And so the recommendation could be depending on, on those different services or products that you have could be, you know, I think that it makes a lot of like you would, it makes a lot of sense for us to consider working together as a wealth management client and start to, to, to provide a little bit of context as to what that means, but it's how would you, a recommendation, how you would engage with me, the advisor as a client. And then the goal is, after you make that recommendation, you want to give them something tangible because they just had this conversation. You just made this recommendation. There's probably some level of emotional, you know, it's stressful. Whether they've worked with someone or haven't worked with someone, probably a number of questions they have. And and just part of psychology of making decisions, like you, you don't want to f- increase any additional stress or pressure. And so what I've seen work really well is to kind of give them a space to, to think through and process what they've, this conversation you just had. And so you make this recommendation and then you say, you know what, I think what would be a really great next step is I'm going to provide you with a sample, whatever, or maybe it's a, you know, I would say a sample if you're recommending a specific service model, I want to provide you with a sample of what a plan would look like or what a, or even just a case study of similar situation, provide them with something so that when they, you know, after the conversation and they go home and maybe this, you know, they're talking to their spouse about the conversation they just had, or or they're talking to trusted friends or family, they have like they, you are having some influence still on the conversation, what they're remembering and taking away. And that's where you start to use your marketing and you start to kind of show, not just tell, the things that are of value. And again, it has to be something that's relevant. It can't just be something random. It could be an article, but it's just reiterating that you can help solve the need or the problem. And, you know, reiterating the things that you think are important to your brand could be, again, kind of the more elevator pitchy sort of language that you want them to really hear that maybe they heard in the conversation, maybe they didn't, who knows. Most people hear very little or remember very little of what they actually are told or or hear or see. And so it's helpful to reiterate those things over and over and over again. And you can do that really effectively in some sort of tangible takeaway. I guess where where does the... I'm just trying to visualize, like, where does the line come between doing that and I think the the fear that at least a lot of advisors have of of not being seen as being too pushy? 
where we tend to have a lot of negative connotations around pushy salespeople. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I would say is, you know, you as part of making the recommendation, you're you 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 can and you should be asking for permission. So, Michael, I'd recommend that you know I think a financial plan and, and investment management engagement, a whole you know holistic wealth management engagement makes a lot of sense for your situation because you have both planning components as well as investment components or, or needs. Now, you know, I'm interested, like, does that sound like something you're interested in, in exploring more? So you, you should be asking for permission along the way. And in the, they may say no. They may say, no, nah, I don't know. That's not maybe what I'm looking for. And that's fine because then you clarify. Well, tell me, like, what about that is, is you know, not okay? Because I want to understand to see, you know. I was going to say, like, that, just that transition right there, right, of, of just building up to does that sound like something you would be interested in, right? If they say yes, they are opening the door for continuing the conversation in that direction. And if they say no, like, well, what what a wonderful gift and time saver right there. Either not a good fit because they you literally just gave them the opportunity to say it and they said it, or an opportunity to to clarify further, like then help me understand just what I missed or wasn't wasn't aligned there. And maybe you get a better understanding of their situation by by process of elimination. You know, I thought they wanted blank. I just literally asked them, they said no. So let's get a little bit deeper about what they actually do want and see if I can suss out this client situation, this prospect situation a little bit more. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that key or that tool of asking for permission or checking in, however you want to say it, can be really powerful in both prospect and client situations where you're just checking in, you know, how does that sound? It's yes or no. You're going to get feedback really quickly. <laughs> and, and that can really inform very, you know, quickly positive next steps. So. So help me understand what this, I guess, overall sales process looks like as you would, as you would advocate it. Because I, you know, it sounds like ultimately we're we're still in a first meeting. You've alluded to the fact that there may be a second meeting because my goal in the first meeting is just to close for a second meeting. So what's the like? What's the overall process that we're that we're trying to walk through? Like how how many meetings should a good sales process be, and what are we ultimately trying to? do or get to in each stage of the meeting process. Yeah. So I have, and I'm happy to share it with your listeners. I have a sales process uh, builder worksheet and it literally, I recommend keeping it as simple as possible. So, you know, usually it's right around four stages and, you know, the way that I name them or I recommend naming them would be lead. It's typically someone who's unqualified. And the goal of that stage is to one, connect with them, right? First disconnect as human beings. Two is to qualify them make the recommendation and get the next meeting. So you get the buy-in or acknowledgement from them that they, they want to continue on. They like what they're hearing. They think it kind of can address their needs. And that would lead them to the second stage, which is prospect. So it's interesting. There's uh, Investment News 2020 Pricing and Profitability Study. If you get someone to that, that, pro- to that first prospect meeting, if you get someone who's, who's fully engaged with you, your chances of converting them to client go up by like over 30%. So it's a very strong signal that they're very engaged. And, you know, most advisors at this point, a lot of them say, once I get, once I get someone who's like on, you know, interested and fully engaged, like my close rates, you know, 75, 80%, sometimes higher. So that, that prospect meeting is really about just kind of kicking the tire for the investor. It's about kicking the tires and, and understanding the logistics of the relationship, understanding the logistics of like what happens once I become a client, understanding fees, of course, that's important. And, and really kind of just, you know, doing their, their check 
checklist of like, are you who you say you are? Are you, you know, I want to make sure I agree with your approach and you, and you can actually for real address my, my issues and my and needs that your team, you know, there's some depth here, like all of the, the things that they need to get comfortable enough, enough with making that decision and ultimately moving their, you know, moving their assets from either one institution to another, or, you know, just, just, having you be their their main source of financial advice. And that prospect meeting is going to be more, I would say there, that's you're doing more talking for sure, right? Because they should be asking, it's a little more of you're flipping the script, like they should be asking you some more questions. And if they aren't, that's fine. You can be leading that conversation knowing that that's what they're doing. So you're making it easy for them. They may not even know what to ask. And it's okay to say things like, you know, I get this question a lot. If they don't bring up fees, like, you know, you you should be talking about it because they're probably not going to make a decision without knowing what your fees are. I get this question a lot. This is how we charge clients and, and be transparent about it. But for that prospect meeting, it's a lot of like, you know, once you, and you've got to feel it out, but once you kind of generally get the sense that they are on board with conceptually on board, at least it's about starting to lay out the next steps. Okay, so this is what the onboarding process looks like. It takes about X number of weeks. This is how we work together. At this point, we'll be starting to implement your assets into your portfolio, and we're going to be going through this process to help you gain clarity on whether you should sell or stay in your business and what those implications are going to look like in your in your portfolio. You really want to like decrease any uncertainty, any reason for concern. Be asking openly, like you know, checking in with them. Other, other questions you have, is any of this, anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we address? It's really getting into more of the nuts and bolts of what that relationship looks like, what it will feel like, what it will actually be for them to lead to that. Okay, well, let's, as far as next steps, you know, if you're ready, if you're ready to, to, to go, like this is, these are the next steps. And that, that can be really helpful for the investor in that it's not this like black box and they're too scared to ask the questions. They don't even know what the questions to ask. You just like address all the potential objections or questions up front if they aren't already asking them. Okay. So this is stage two of the process, I guess like the, the funnel, the flow. So what what's next or where do we go from there? Yeah. So next would be if you haven't already provided some sort of proposal, formal proposal, if they aren't on board, if they are like still wavering, you know, that's where you can, you can offer to provide a proposal, like, you know, kind of a, it's, it's a formalized version of what you've talked about. And so again, it's facilitating this, you're supporting their decision-making process and it gives you a, a reason to check back in, you know, at this point, either ideally what happens is in the second meeting, they're like, okay, this sounds really great. You know, I think I just need to like, maybe need a couple days to just talk it over. But, you know, they're, they're very close to making a decision. If they aren't very close to making a decision, maybe they're in the process of interviewing other advisors, which is totally fine. It's okay at this point to say, again, you can be have provided or provide a proposal, a formal proposal, which would be like, these are the, this is the situation as we see it. These are the, this is the recommendation, recommendation that we're, I'm making. Uh, this is what that will look like as far as next steps. If you decide to come on, these are the fees associated with becoming a client. You would check in and say, you know, when is a when would be a good time to follow up? If I, I know that you're interviewing other people, or I know that you're you know you're busy at work, you know, you let me know what would be a good time for us to uh, review this when you feel like you've had time to talk it through and kind of come to terms as far as what are the next steps on your end. 
and they hopefully give you some time frame that's realistic. And if not, it could even be, you know, next end of next week, could I, could we check in? Let's get some time in the calendar and we can check in on, on where you're at. Sounds like, it sounds like, you know, we could certainly help with the situation. We would love to, I would love to, to partner with you. Is it okay if I check in with you at the end of next week? Yes or no? If it's no, again, if you're going to get a pretty good signal right there, kind of how engaged are they or aren't they at this point? And then what's stage four, part four, if we get that far? So at that point, it's either you're, it's one or it's lost. They either become a client or they're lost. And granted, there may need to be follow-up. So if someone has, if you're waiting, essentially waiting on a decision and it's very clear you're waiting on a decision, you know, it is appropriate to follow up. I would say at least once a week with that person and just continue to check in. If you hear, if they completely go silent on you after following up with them for, uh, I would say a solid month, I would, at that point, if they're silent, I would, I would ask permission to continue to include them on whatever sort of regular mailings you have. It could be like a newsletter or maybe it's a quarterly investment update just to try to get some engagement with them. And, and if they don't respond, I would include them on your drip marketing if you have it or your nurture marketing if you have it or newsletters and kind of move on at that point. But at, after that much engagement, they're likely not going to go silent. They're going to let you know one way or another that either they're on board or they're not ready. If they're not ready, then you know you can try to have another conversation to uncover like what's going on. And some of it may needing may need to be that you you need to help just kind of think through the objection, whatever the objections are. And you know, I don't I don't think you can necessarily overcome objections. You know, it's hard you can't change people's minds, but you can provide a different perspective and reframe or just even remind them about why they reached out in the first place. That can be a very helpful way to help them kind of overcome that objection. It sounds like overall this is sort of a a two slash three meeting process. Like I'm I'm gonna do an initial meeting where they're the lead, it's mostly about them. I'm trying to understand their situation, figure out if they're actually a good prospect. If so, make some kind of recommendation. You know, Bob, it sounds like you've got a tough retirement transition. It turns out that we specialize in people going through tough retirement transitions. I think we'd be a great fit together. I'd, I'd love to have a follow-up meeting with you where we can talk a little bit more about just what we actually do and how we might be able to help. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, if someone's ready earlier, great. <laughs> you know, don't oversell. That's something that I think a lot we all tend to do is we try to oversell. A lot of the art is is actually like knowing when to stop and let it kind of happen, you know, let let it happen. Like you don't don't if they're like ready to go in the first meeting, you don't need to have a second meeting. It's like, okay, great. I'm gonna quickly have to pivot and I'm going to talk about what are next steps as far as onboarding. So be ready for that because it could happen. But yeah, you don't want to be like overselling and be like, well my process is now we have a second meeting. It's like, no, if they're ready, they're ready and you you go with it. Otherwise, I'm, I'm at least going to a second meeting. And so it sounds like the second meeting is we're going to talk about our process. We're going to talk about what we actually do and how we do it. You know, I'm going to answer all their questions about just literally what do we do and how do we do it? How do you work with us? What's, what's the process going to be like trying to get them on board at that level with the hopes at the end of that meeting of either they're, if they're ready to come on board, great. If they're not, you know, can I send you a follow-up proposal that just commemorates all of this and we can touch base next week uh, to just talk through it? Yes. Yep. That's right. Exactly. Okay. And, and is the idea that often comes out to be a third meeting and that I should anticipate three meetings with the prospect to get through this if they aren't so, if they aren't so kind as to just shortcut my process by saying yes faster? 
Yeah. I mean, some people are going to need, so they may be like at that proposal sent stage for a longer period of time. Some people need more handholding. You know, there may be multiple decision makers in the decision and, and different people may be at different places as far as um, kind of feeling ready. And so I think at that, at that, yeah, whatever, you know, again, depending on the the prospect, you know, is this someone you really want to work with who would be a great fit, who you can really help? Is this someone who is not an ideal client and probably you need to like let it go? Like that's a decision you have to make. But if they have, if you've gone through this initial process of getting to know them, them getting to know you, everything's on the table and they're not ready, but they're continuing to engage with you. You know, I think you have to, you have to be, depending on the quality of the, the prospect, you know, for someone who's a really great opportunity, then you continue the journey, of course. Like you continue the journey, you support their needs. Again, you always want to be, you always want to be very clearly driving towards like the next step is, you know, your accounts, you this is the paperwork that we would need you to fill out for the accounts. You know, I'm interested, like you and you can check in, like what where, what are some of the concerns you have? Like, you know, we've gone through this process. Really, I feel really confidently that we can we can help you here. But, and I get, it's a big decision. Like acknowledge, this is a big decision. Help me understand so that we can talk through kind of what's going on as far as what's what's holding you back from taking this action that you're, you, you've told me is really important to you. And it's going to be impactful to the long-term success and confidence of your, you know, of, of, for your family and your financial life. So what's going on? And so how much do you... I guess, t- template the supporting materials that that go with this. I mean, you've talked about proposals, sample financial plan, talking through the logistics of 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 what we do. Like, are are these meant to be conversational? Are these things that like should be documents? Should I you know, have all of this like templated out with a with a pitch book that shows all my stuff? Like, how do you prescribe actually? I guess like systematizing this or, or bringing it together? Yeah. So, I mean, it's gonna be a little different for everyone. So in the sales process builder worksheet, we have the, you know, sales stage names and then the milestones, like essentially at what point does someone go from lead to prospect? Like what are the things that we're trying to accomplish? And then the tactics and processes. So like, this is where you'd identify what are the materials? And again, so if you have, if it's more than just you, you're going to want your team to be on the same board, on the same page as to what does this process look like? How do we document it? What are, what's follow-up look like? What materials are we using? So there is consistency if amongst multiple advisors, that's really important. But you are, ideally, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to, you know, in the beginning, it's some experimentation. Maybe you've been doing this and you kind of have a sense of what's working at certain stages and other stages you're like, we're, we're getting stuck here. We're getting stuck at the kind of the second meeting and we're, we're not seeing them move on or, or we're not getting from the first to the second meeting. So if there are things that are working for you, don't change those things. Just you know, keep them the way they are. If they're working, don't change them. For the areas that are not necessarily working, you're going to want to do some experimentation and, and you'll figure out very quickly uh, what works and what doesn't. But typically, you know, for, for the lead stage, for example, you know, you're going to want to have a follow-up process. You're going to want to have that be defined as to the cadence of follow-up you know, ideally you're having even sample emails that you can use and leverage. If, if, you know, you're comfortable or you have a marketing automated automation system, you could automate that. But in the meantime, you can do that manually as well. So again, I have a follow-up process that I share with people. And I, again, I'm happy to share that as well as sample, sample email templates with your listeners. But that's an example. You're going to want to have a follow-up email process or in like, at what point do you call someone to check in if that's the appropriate next step? So that's one. 
And again, I would have those things created so you don't have to think about it because then that takes more time and energy and it's not fun. When it comes to providing a sample, you know, I would have a few, again, you know your clients and your ideal clients. I would have a few things kind of in the queue of like, these are the things that we generally use for follow-up. So to give you an example of my business, I have a sample growth plan. And that's something I use a lot with prospects because it's pretty, it, it covers a, like a large variety of needs. And it just show, all it does is really show like, this is the level of detail, or this is the process in which we go through in order to get to the point where you actually have a plan. So depending on your ideal client profile, you may be um, focused on business owners. You may be focused on physicians, pre-retirees, retirees. What is the one thing that your clients who meet that persona really value? Like I would be focusing there. And if you can create something that's generic enough that it can be reused in most situations, that's great because then it gives you something that's really like kind of very flexible. And and what is the suggested cadence of just how 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 quickly or often do we do we follow up in in pursuing this? Because I find this is an area in particular. I think a lot of advisors get again just overly sensitive about: Are we being too salesy? Are we being too pushy? Yeah, and this is probably going to sound too salesy for a lot of people. And when they actually go through the samples communications, it becomes they're like, oh, okay, it's not so bad. So for a lead, so someone who you consider a lead, so let's say they you know completed a form on your site and they've reached out to you, they're a, they're a warm lead. Like they should be, they have expressed some engagement and interest in in your services. You know, I recommend following up between five to seven times over a really over a month period. And that may sound like a lot, but the follow-up is is typically, you know, it's it's not like intense follow-up in in along the way you're adding value. So what that looks like is especially in the first couple of weeks, you know, you should be reaching out at least twice a week. And again, you're probably hopefully getting some response back. You're not literally gonna have to do seven follow-ups, hopefully. But what that looks like as far as follow-up in a template could be, you know, thank you for you first you acknowledge. So the acronym for fo- effective follow-up is AARP. So the first thing you do is acknowledge why you're reaching out. Thank you for reaching out via my website. Ask, I would love to learn more about you. Ask about them. Make a recommended next step. Here's my calendar, you know, feel free to schedule a time so we can we can meet. Really basic. If you have a calendar link, certainly use that. That's a lot easier than going back and forth. And then provide something of value is the P. And so, you know, if they if they downloaded a specific a white paper on retirement, it may be, you know, thank you for downloading the white paper on a successful retirement. I thought you may be interested in our retirement checklist. Or if it's just, you know, a went through a form, it could be as simple as, you know, here's our most popular article on, or here's a a list of frequently asked questions that we get from prospects. You know, it could just something that's more generic. So AARP, acknowledge, ask, provide a recommendation, and then provide value. And if you do that, like you can continue, as long as you're continuing to provide value and you're not being obnoxious or pushy, it's people don't seem to mind (laughs) the, 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 the frequency. So I get like the initial response, right? Like someone submitted a thing through a web website, so I reply like, you know, acknowledging uh, Shauna that you reached out, really appreciate that, would love to learn more about you. You know, here's a link to my calendar so we can connect. In the meantime, here's a retirement checklist you might be interested in, right? I hit my AARP. So like, okay, that's like the first follow-up. <laughs> you said about five to seven. Like what what comes next? Because I'm assuming I, I can't really... I can't really use that script a second time. It's kind of weird, the 
second time after I sent an email that says that the first time. It's not. I don't. I mean, I don't think it is at least. So, you know, you replied to the email that you sent, and you said again, like, thank you again for for reaching out. I, you know, I would love to meet with you. It's it's very similar. I would love, to, and you can change. Of course, you change the language a little bit, so it's not exactly the same. But I would love to meet with you. You know, here's my calendar. Here's and then provide an addi- something different as far as adding value. Uh, so you really do just still go down that step, like. I know you reached out a week and a half ago. We haven't been able to connect yet, but I'd still love to learn more about you. Here's my calendar link so that we can connect. In the meantime, here's another checklist that you might find interesting. Exactly. Now, after the third time, I would say, you know, I do third or fourth, I do, I would check in and say, you know, I provided these things, you know, I just want to check in and see if this is, if these are of relevance. And if you do want to, you know, have follow up and have a conversation, do check in, like, do you want to do this or do you want me to stop? Give them the opportunity to stop. If they don't respond, I would send another one and then another email that's kind of more generic, like the first couple. And then, you know, at that fifth email point, you can directly say, you know, I just want to check in with you. Would you prefer me to put you on our subscription list? Or, you know, do you want to connect? You could be more direct and, and checking in with them. And, and the seven would be if you wanted, to, if you had their phone number, you may try to call them. And so the idea is I'm going to, I'm just going to do that five to seven times after they reach out until basically they say yes and we're meeting or they just say, no, please stop contacting me. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they don't respond at all, you know, you can, again, in one of your last emails, just say, you know, you know, haven't heard back from you. No problem. Like I've, you know, if it's okay with you, I'm going to put you on our newsletter just to provide relevant insights around planning and investment topics or whatever you write about, or if you do have anything like that. If you don't, then you there's not much as far as follow-up you can do other than check with them maybe once a month. But if you do have some sort of drip tool in your toolkit, then certainly use that and just, you know, let them know, give them the opportunity to say no, but, you know, kind of make the assumption that they're okay with you adding them to the subscription list and add them to the list if it's if, if they don't say no. If they say no, don't don't add me, then of course you, you don't add them. And then what about after I've gotten through the the lead stage, we did the meeting, you know, we they we got to follow up to to prospect. I got to do my whatever, my spiel. Here's what we do and the value we provide and uh, uh and so forth. You know, I find that the second I guess the, the like zone of death for a lot of advisors is you know, I I did my pitch, they said something in the effect of oh, we've got to think about it. And now I'm back in a well, how much and how persistently do I follow up and what's too salesy and too pushy? So how, how do you handle that zone? Like after after we did the second sales meeting, we did the prospect meeting, I I, I made my pitch. They said, we got to think about it. And, and now I'm back in the follow-up purgatory again. Yeah. So ideally you don't go in the purgatory. And the way you try not to do that is by in those, you know, whether it's the first or second meeting with them, you, before you leave the meeting, you get the next meeting. So, you know, getting a read from them, like, you know, when would be a good time to check back in on this in a week? Okay, great. So, you know, we're here. Let's, is there a time next week that would work for you? Get that meeting then because you don't want to go back in that purgatory because that's not fun. <laughs> if you do go back in the purgatory and you do need to follow up to try to, to get a meeting with them, you know, typically people are pretty responsive at that point because they've engaged with you. But I would be following up once a week and just checking in. You know, I'm checking in on your portfolio, on the proposal that we provided, or I'm checking in on this conversation. It was really great talking to you. I think we reiterating the value and the recommendation you made. You know, I really think that we can can really help you through this transition. You know, let's schedule time to review, 
to review what that looks like for you and to talk through more of the details of your situation. Again, make it about them. And and how long do I keep going after them if I'm not getting follow-up, if I'm not getting results? So, in, I mean, if it's, again, if it's a person you really want to work with, you don't stop, right? It's It's like, and I wouldn't, I'm not saying every single week you email them, but you check in with them once a month. The first, I would say the first month you're checking in weekly. And then after that, it's once a month. If it's someone that you're like, eh, I don't know that they're the best fit anyway. You know, after a month or two, maybe if you really aren't, you, you, you want to work with them to some extent, after that you, you, you stop and you, hopefully they're on your, on your nurture list or your newsletter. But at that point you just have to like, it's your effort, it's your time and you, you need to stop. So then help us understand, like, how did you come to just this, this path, this world of, of consulting with advisors on, on their sales processes and, and, and building and coaching on sales processes? What, what was your background and journey in the industry? Because I think you'd said earlier on, like, didn't necessarily envision at this point you would be doing sales coaching and consulting for advisors. So where, where did it start for you? So I graduated Villanova, from Villanova with a political science degree, so very little to do with, with sales. And I actively remember when I was looking for my first job out of college or when I was in college looking for my first job, I actively avoided, you know, you know how they have like career fairs? I actively avoided any of the booths that would potentially be like a sales role. Pretty much crosses out most of the financial services jobs. <laughs> right. Well, so I ended up getting a, it was a marketing role at a REA firm that was based outside of Philadelphia where, where Villanova is. And so I started at an REA firm. They had about maybe 200 million in AUM doing this marketing role, which again is very rare. They weren't a huge firm, very rare to have a dedicated person doing that sort of work. Uh, and, and over time, it evolved into much more than marketing. It was obviously development. There was running the day-to-day of the office, HR, compliance, like, you know, all the different things that need to be done outside of the investments and the planning. So I started at this firm, TGS Financial Advisors, and I was there for eight years. And I joke with people, I drank the Kool-Aid, the REA Kool-Aid. I like, I loved it. I really, really loved it. And the, and the reason the people were great, they were exceptional planners. They did great work by their clients. And, you know, I ended up leaving TGS after eight years, really, because I, I really at that point in time wanted to grow and learn from other people or to be a better marketer because you can only grow so much when you're, you know, in a firm of eight people and you're the only one who does marketing. And so I, I left TGS and I joined FS Investments and FS Investments is an alternative asset manage, manager in Philadelphia. And I joined the marketing team and about nine months into the job. So they were, the background is that FS, when I joined, was only uh, selling their product, their investment products to broker-dealer advisors. They were only on broker-dealer platforms. And about nine months in, and when I first joined, I was like, well, what did I do? Like I just, the commission world, I just didn't, I, I was like so far out of my comfort zone and I was, I was very like, oh my God, what did I do? But nine months in, they decided to diversify the business and, and develop or build out an RAA specific sales team. And having come from that world, they- That, that at- turned out to be a very good positioning for you. Like, yeah. Oh my God. It was amazing. As so, chance would have it, I've got some familiarity with this. Right. And and it's funny. They had no one else there. Not one other person at the firm had had experience in the channel. It was a, When I joined, I was employee, I think like a hundred maybe. When I left seven years later, there was 350 employees. So they, it was a very different company when I left. But when when I joined, they had a lot of expertise in the broker-dealer world, at least in the sales and marketing 
side of the business, but nobody had any experience in the REA space. And so they were like, well, Shauna, can you help us build it out? And I was like, yes, yes, I can. So much fun. It was myself and two other people. And so I was in marketing and I was helping develop it to develop the marketing and the, the, you know, the messaging and strategy and the content for that channel. But because it was just three of us, I ended up really doing much more than marketing. It was really business strategy. It was sales. I mean, they didn't have a sales team for a while. It takes time to hire salespeople. So I was covering conferences. Like I was covering the NAPFA conference, Schwab conference, TD conference. So I really was, had this kind of very odd experience of being a sales, put in the sales role that I didn't, necessarily expect, but it was fun. I did not want to do it. It was a lot of fun. I learned along the way. It helped inform the marketing. Like It was very productive for myself and for the business. And it ended up, you know, so as they continued to grow, they ended up asking me to run the internal sales desk, which is, so it was a team of, ended up being right around, uh, I think, eight internal salespeople. So they were in the office and they were supporting external salespeople. And I was horrified, frankly, because I was like, wait, I'm not a sales manager. I, I don't know what I'm doing. But they said, no, you can do this and we will train you and you have support. And there's other sales managers that will help support you with the things that aren't comfortable. I was really good at the business management, territory management, helping with pipelines and managing the day-to-day, very good at the processes and supporting the, the internal and external salespeople or territories in how to develop business plans and execute on them. What I had to learn, and luckily they trained me, was on consultative sales. And so I I was trained in consultative sales. They had an outside firm that did the training for them and they were excellent. And I would do like call coaching, you know, every day. Uh, It was just a very different world. So I'm doing call coaching. I'm, you know, managing the sales desk, having never technically done direct sales, but it was like, learning learning by fire like it was the best learning experience and then if a couple of years later i ended up they asked me to run what they called their sales strategy and analytics team and what that was was essentially a sales enablement or sales operations team so i i really i just got this like amazing education and i learned what these large distribution these large asset managers or even they were mid-sized what these these small to, to large asset managers are doing how are they using data how are they using analytics what are best practices as far as far as incentivizing people around activity so, i mean there was just so much that i learned and i realized you know i this there's just this i know there's this huge gap in you know in the advisor space largely because there is this kind of negative connotation around sales and i realized through my experience that it really i mean it can be negative and it can be pushy and forceful and it also doesn't have to be the most successful salespeople that i partnered with were exceptionally consultative they had very deep relationships with the advisors that they served really great people and you know that's really what i like looked to bring to the advisor community are the the mindsets, the processes, and some of the basic consultative skills that can enable you to just really amplify what you're doing in a way that's beneficial to not just your business, but to your your clients and, and the prospects that hopefully become clients. So as you're doing all of this like sales management and and sales strategy and and, and data around sales management and sales strategy, I'm just curious, like what what were the I guess what were the biggest gaps or differences you see between what an organization like that was doing with some 
granted with some size and scale and infrastructure, but like, what were the biggest gaps between what you saw an organization like that doing when it came to sales and how advisory firms typically do this? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a great question. There are, I would say three big differences. One is that, you know, you have people in dedicated sales roles. So they they already own the, it's their responsibility to do sales. So like they have defined roles versus, you know, in many advisory firms, some have development roles, but most don't. And so it's like a shared responsibility across the organization, which is frankly fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's also easy to, you know, if it is part of your job to help grow the business, but you also have clients to serve and you also have other, you know, marketing to do, whatever your other responsibilities are, which usually advisors are wearing a lot of different hats. It's it's very easy to get busy and it's very easy to not to to focus in the areas that you're most comfortable in and that you, you know, really just like are the day-to-day. And so development tends to kind of take a backseat. So that's one is just like the mindset around like I am doing this role, I'm dedicated to it versus like it's a side hustle. Two is process, just the way that it is institutionalized at these larger organizations. It, there is so much process around it. And what I mean by that is, you know, the way they've built out their CRM, the data that they're capturing, the formality around what the the sales process is, uh, the attention to attention to the data that goes in or is purchased in supporting the the salesperson, the attention to how marketing is helping and that collaboration between marketing and sales, like time like connecting those two things together. There's just so much infrastructure there. And again, for an advisory firm, you don't need like all the bells and whistles by any stretch, but some of the basic, there are some basic, what I find is there are some basic processes that a lot, most advisors don't have. So for example, sales process, two thirds of advisory firms as reported in investment news study do not have a sales process yet. They're spending 2% of revenue on marketing. So if you're putting money and effort into generating leads, why wouldn't you want to like increase your chances of converting those leads to clients and without process or without a game plan to do that, you know, it, you're, you're putting yourself in a tough position. And I hear that all the time. So process is, is certainly one gap that I see. And then the last one I would say is just the commitment to developing the skill or acumen around sales. You don't need to be an expert in sales to be successful in, in selling or in influencing, but there are some basic, really basic skills. And it comes down to even the best salespeople do this, they practice it. So like one of the things that I do with a lot of my clients is I literally practice having conversations. I practice, we practice the value, what I call value messaging or elevator pitch, whatever you want to call it. We actually practice t- like saying it out loud and it's uncomfortable at first, but it gets easier and easier with every rep. And the point is, is you want to be ready so that you you don't feel uncomfortable and you're overthinking and you're nervous and you just start rambling. You want to be ready and you want to be able to like, it's, it's really about having the confidence to kind of not, again, oversell and to be really consistent. And that's something that, again, that's something that I, I see a lot of firms, especially with uh, multiple advisors struggle with is just having this consistency around what are we saying? How are we saying it? I actually, I just was on a call with, with a prospect, a large firm, a prospect RA, and it was with, there was five people on the call. They were all in senior leadership positions. They were the ones responsible for growth. And one of the guys in the call said, you know, frankly, we just suck at sales. And I'm like, yeah, but you've, 
you, you, how does that work with your clients? Like, are you able to influence your clients to, to make, you know, good decisions around their money? He's like, yeah, well, it's different. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, it's not different, you know, but if you believe you suck at sales and you're not willing to do the sales and you're not, or do have these conversations, you're not willing to practice and you're not willing to develop this skill a little bit. I mean, you don't need to be an expert then yeah, you're going to suck at sales, but you don't actually suck at sales. Most of us are actually pretty okay at sales. Like it's, it's just about If you're, if you're persuading mindset. your clients to take your recommendations, you've been doing some selling. Right, exactly. So that value of the skill and the willingness to do some practice again, I'm not saying like we're all busy. I'm not saying people need to go out and like train to become a salesperson, but just if you have some, va- some value messaging or if you have, you know, if you're struggling with a part of the sales process, or a, a certain type of meeting, practice it, role play it. It's going to get easier. That's how you get better. That's how it works in life with everything. So where where does the typical advisor go to go to learn this or learn about this? Given that we don't necessarily have the 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 relationships for established sales trainers for everybody that comes through the way that sounds like FS did when you, when you were going through this process. Yeah, I mean, I think usually what happens, at least what I've seen in my experience, is that you know you 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 watch the more senior people in the firm, right? So other advisors learn from each other. They learn from the founder. Oftentimes what happens is it almost is like a black box. You know, I remember that for a number of of years at TGS where it's like we'd get at the meeting and then like the Jim or Dave, the guys who ran the business would go in the meeting and then we'd come out and be like, how'd it go? And eventually you'd be in the meeting and you'd learn and you'd see how they did it. And that's kind of how you learn. It's very much a mentorship almost. Um, You learn from the people around you. Now that doesn't mean that they, I don't, they learned it probably the same way. And so you, that, that's really how I see people learning it in the industry. There certainly are some sales trainers out there, but I, I mostly see peer, peer-to-peer learning happening today. And so what do advisors do if they're you know, out, out on their own and not already in multi-advisor firms? I mean, I get it if you're, if you're in a firm with a bunch of advisors, it's like, you know, go, go watch your senior advisors and sit in on them if you can. But what if you're not necessarily in that position? You know, so many people get hired into the business and it's eat, eat what you kill and find your clients from day one. It's like, we don't, necessarily get that opportunity. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly like, I know a lot of advisors read different books or there's different blogs they follow or people they follow. Like I provide sales tips weekly. I provide a short two to three minute video on a specific sales skill. I think you just, if, if you want to, you go out and seek it. If you don't, if your comfort level isn't there, you kind of struggle through it. You, you learn through by your mistakes. And some people, listen, some people are naturally good at at doing this. They don't need any me to tell them how to do it. They're just, and frankly, you know, maybe this is not right to say, but what I found is that a lot of women naturally are consultative in these early meetings, like almost to a fault, like they're, they're, they tend to be more consultative in their nature and can connect really quickly. Just again, this is just an observation that I've had. Uh, but if you're a you know a man or a woman and you're starting out and you don't have a support system around you, you either yeah you learn from your mistakes <laughs> and it's painful, or you are seeking information from from books. If you search sales skills, you're going to find something. It may not be specific to the industry, but you're going to learn. You're going to be able to to at least understand some of the basics around sales. So a lot of people I know, a lot of my clients are like, you know, I went and read these books and I still need more help. And we go from there. You know, I do think I actually, so the advisor growth community, like there are these groups of advisors that are 
X, Y planning. Like obviously there are these, these industry groups that are great and that they're, they're providing support for newer advisors or for advisors that may be on their own in order to, to help with this peer to peer sharing, to create that environment that may not exist naturally for them. Well, I guess I'm just wondering, you had mentioned like books out there as well. Is there a particular, is there a particular book that you're a fan of that you think is a good anchor or starting point for this? Yeah. So it's funny. I read this book like early in my career and, and it's going to, you're going to probably laugh because everyone references this book, but it was so helpful in just the basics of like emotional intelligence and getting to a win-win, which is frankly what good sales is. And it's Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people. I mean, so much of this is just connecting, listening, looking and finding that win-win. And I think that I tend to like more like emotional intelligence resources. I think that that's what consultative sales is largely just continuing to improve your emotional intelligence. And so then what came next for you? You're, you're not at FS anymore. So what, what came next? Yeah. So in April of 2020, so just over a year ago, I left FS and started a growth consulting and coaching firm, Inspire Growth. So I am one of those crazy people who at the beginning of a pandemic I would say that was quite some timing, April. April. So was that a like the pandemic was breaking on? I said, I want to do a shift or was this a like it had been coming for many months of building up and you had your date set and then a pandemic broke out. And I was like, well, I guess I'm kind of committed now because I already told them I was leaving. Exactly. It was the latter. Yeah. But you know what? Listen, I'm really grateful. So it had been a long time coming. This is always something. Even when I left TGS, I in the back of my mind, there was this like voice that was like, you can do this for other people, like for other advisors. But I was, I was, you know, how old was I then? I was much younger, third, my early thirties. So I was, it just didn't feel ready. And I just thought, you know, let me get some more experience under my belt. And it had been literally on my mind for like 10 years, like a long time to do this consulting work. And I, I, in December of 2019, I had started to, it got real and I had, it, the decision was made. <laughs> now it ended up being, you know, frankly, I think really great timing, which is very odd to say. I wouldn't have, if, if I had known the pandemic was happening, I would definitely not have made the leap. I would have found a way to like probably figure it out. And actually there was a moment in time when I was going to be working as a contractor for FS in a pretty big way. And, you know, I, I just, you got to, sometimes you got to trust your gut and FS was great. And the people were great there. I just was like, if I don't do this and I don't do it hundred percent, then I'm going to, I think I'm going to regret it. And I just really was like, I just need to do this and see what happens. And if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't work out, then I'll know at least, and I'll move on from there. And I decided to just fully go out on my own and without, I didn't have clients like set up or anything. I just, frankly, for my type A personality, it was pretty, uh, felt like a very big leap. And it was certainly a trying first few months of like, oh my God, what did I just do? That was not smart. And it was very scary, but like anything, I just said, you know what? I have a plan. I'm going to just every single day I had a, literally, I had a, I had a game plan for every single day I had to accomplish specific things. And that I focused day by day in the beginning. Cause that's about all I could focus on. So what was the, like, what was the game plan? How did you structure that? I feel like there's a lot of parallels to that for almost anybody who takes a leap to launch an advisory business or any kind of thing where you're building from scratch. Yeah. I mean, and that, I think that's a great point. That is a lot of, when I do the work with clients, it's really about breaking it down in the big goal into like very, very small, or even if you don't have the big goal, you don't even have clarity on that. You're just like, I'm just not in the right place. 
breaking down to at a very like a day to day or week to week level, like what are the things I need to accomplish to, to feel like I'm making some progress? Because it is really and truly that is like the mental piece of it, like developing the habits and the mindset and the um, staying positive because it's hard. It can be hard. So sometimes you just have to zoom way down to the details. So what I did was I my goal was to have one call a day that I thought, you know, in some way that would help me can either connect to the right people or ideally it would be some sort of like potential opportunity. And so I, every single day I had one call and I also took that time when I had more time where I wasn't as busy with client work to really start to generate content. So one of my, um, my plans or strategies was to, to start to just put out there kind of the thought, the, the teach people like make accessible all of the knowledge that I had in a way and relevant to financial advisors. And I started to write and I ended up, I didn't even realize this till like I looked back in December over that. It wasn't even a year. It was like nine months. I wrote 40 articles and I ended, I mean, you're like a prolific writer. So you probably, I, I mean, I'm speaking to like the, uh, you're like the gold standard, but for me that I wasn't doing that before. So it was a big deal. So I wrote 40 articles. I had to, every single article I wrote, my kind of stipulation was that I had to make it good enough and valuable enough that someone would pick it up. That wasn't just me. Right. So I had to like leverage other people's platforms where advisors were. So I, I have gotten so many leads from those, those articles. Now I'm doing video and some, some longer form videos, some short videos and longer form videos podcast, obviously I started to do podcast. Like I did a, a webinar. I really looked for opportunities to, to add value to other, other people in the industry in a complimentary way. So the two things were every single day I had to have some productive conversation, even if it wasn't productive, just a conversation with an outside person. And I would have certain people I would try to be essentially targeting that I thought I could add value to. So it was all about how can I help you? And then figuring out how to really uh, leverage different partnerships and platforms by adding value to, to either their listeners or their audience through articles, through content, through speaking. And that has been incredibly, I mean, that's where most of my leads have come from, which is kind of crazy. So I've probably gotten, I don't know, like, like warm, warm leads, like people that have reached out to me via my website, almost 70 people in like over the past year, which is great. And a lot of them, I've, I, most of them I have talked to and, and had like, you know, if it's the right situation, had a lot of success working with. So that was very, very successful was that content marketing strategy. So, so help us understand is what, what do you, what do you do at this point? Like what does Inspire Growth do? What do, what do advisors hire you for? So, and I have to be honest, it's frankly evolving as I learn from, learn as I go. So what I do though, is I do one-on-one -on -one consulting. So that would be, if you have a specific, if an advisor has a specific goal, growth goal, that could be AUM or revenue. It could not be. It could be that I really want to, I really want to grow with a specific type of client, or I really want to work less. And that's a goal too. If they have a specific goal in mind, then I go through a process with them and develop a plan together and, and support them in implementing the plan. And so that always starts with goals, their ideal client, who's going to help get them there, and the strengths or resources that they have. Now, if someone comes to me and doesn't have a specific goal in mind, which is happens a lot, it, oftentimes that would be, it could be like a, 
a solopreneur or someone, you know, essentially they need, they're like, I'm, I'm functioning in a vacuum and I just need an outside perspective. I just want like, it's almost like an advisor to an advisor I work in a retainer capacity with those, with those advisors in that we are spending time monthly together, organizing everything around a strategic planner. And so we're staying focused on the things really more short, very short-term goals. And oftentimes out of the process, they gain clarity of like, what do I really want? And that's frankly, one of the hardest parts of growth, I think is, you know, what I see is oftentimes advisors get to a certain point of success and, or maybe they're in a point where they're just frustrated and they don't have clarity of what they want. And that can be incredibly demotivating and scary and doesn't feel good, especially if you've you're, you know, consider yourself high performing or you've, you've gotten yourself to this point where you started the business, like failure isn't an option. So what do I do? So that's in that capacity, I also partner with advisors, but if I do my job well, they don't need me forever. Um, and I, and I know that. And so I think for so your, your assumption is like, if, if, if we work together and this goes well, then the relationship will come to an end. Cause like I've, I've gotten you to a point where you're having more sales and business development success. I wish you well. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and of course I want to check in and hear this, you know, hear what's going on. And if they need updates, provide some, you know, updates to the, their plans or their strategy. But ideally, yeah, we get the processes in place, the infrastructure in place to for them to be doing this on their own, for their teams to be supporting them, where they feel they're having success and they feel like they're meeting their goals as far as as growth. That's the goal. So it really does a lot of the work. A lot of the tangible work is around developing the processes and developing the skills. That's the work that people like come to me for. But I think probably the most value is around the mindset work that we do as part of the process, which is more around helping them get to the point where they don't say, I suck at sales, where it's like, like they're proud to be like, I'm good at development. Like, I got this. That's, to me, is the most, that's where you are successful. When you are like, I can do this. And even if I don't know how to do it, I'm going to find the person who can help me or I'm going to, I'm willing to learn. Like I have an open mindset around sales and growth and the answers are out there. It's within me. Like I have what I need. I'm not incomplete. I'm not missing something. That part is like my favorite, frankly, favorite part part of it is seeing the evolution of engagement and confidence and just joy around growing their business, which before was usually like, oh, I have to do this development work. This is terrible. Changing that script and changing that experience. I think, again, we do, we all work a lot, right? So you might as well enjoy, enjoy it. Shouldn't be painful. So that, that part of it is, I think the most fun transformation that I I see from my clients. Well, I I know you have this wonderful like message on the, on the homepage for your website that 80% of growth is the belief that it's possible. Do you think it's just a really powerful statement for how many of us deep down are like, are, are struggling to grow and don't really think we can, and don't really think that's going to work. And that at some point that becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy. And just, if you believe it's going to work, you tend to approach it very differently. And often that actually just ends out working better. Yes. Oh my God. Our subconscious drives 90% or more of our decision-making. If we fear growth, if we fear, you know, if we have fear around any of this, our bo- our, our brains are going to protect us. That's its job. And it really, it can be incredibly powerful when you have clarity around and belief and energy, positive energy around what you do, you just, you just tend, one, it tends to be more fun. And two, you tend to have just better success. So what do you find most advisors miss when it comes to the business development process? Like what are the most 
common gaps you see where we're getting it wrong? I mean, definitely the mindset thing around, you know, the number of people that tell me they're, I'm just, I'm a portfolio manager or I'm a financial planner. I'm not a, I am not a salesperson. Like that mindset shift is one big thing. Like if you can just start there, start with like, just start labeling yourself in a certain way. That's a big, big challenge, I think, for a lot of people. Cause you don't even start. If you don't even, if you don't, if you're not willing to, if you can't envision yourself as being successful, you're not going to start doing it. So that's one. The, the second one I would say is just the, you know, defining process in your business. It's so powerful. And again, you may not be the person to do it. It may be that you have someone on your team who's more operationally focused. You can do this work. I actually just spoke to a group hyphen, which is operation focused community of RAs. And I just talked to them about this. I'm like, you are uniquely positioned to really help with development, even though you may not ever think of yourself in that way, just around your ability to develop and implement process. And part of process is obviously buy-in, right? Like you have to gain commitment across an organization to not just build the process, but use the process. And so really it is around just systematizing how you want people to feel and the experience that you're that you're providing for a number of reasons that is helpful. I mean, one, it's it's good business. Two, it provides you with ways to automate and scale. So like as you do grow, you get busy. And then once you get busy, you can't do the things that you need and want to do for your clients. So, but if you can develop processes, then you start to enable your yourself to scale through leveraging t- people or technology. Um, so I would say again that the two things if I had to pick one, it'd be mindset for sure around just like labeling yourself as not good at sales or, or having a negative connotation with sales, like drop, drop it because you're in it, whether you like it or not. So you might as well define it yourself and, and do the best you can. And then two would be process. And, and how do we reconcile just the, the process dynamic of, but what we do is customize and individualize for every client. Uh, that's still to me by far the the number one reason why I hear most advisors talking about like why they don't have more systematized processes, like because every client's different and unique, and our value is that we provide customized, individualized advice for your unique circumstances. Like, how do we, how do you envision bridging the gap between you know, individual clients with individual needs and and the the kind of process standardization that you're talking about? Well, I think there's, you know, there's kind of three major buckets. There's like the prospect, like there's certainly process. There should be, if you're spending money on marketing or if you want to grow, you hopefully are being intentional about how you're trying to do that, whether it's through referrals or content marketing or, you know, social media or paid advertising or however you're doing it is, is fine. But like, if you're spending money, you you should have a game plan for when you actually get a lead. Like that's one process, right? And we talked about sales process. Like the sales process is you know, you should have a game plan again for when you get that lead, like how do you most successfully bring them to client? Can you change it? Absolutely. But you want to know where they are along the way because that's going to help give you important business information. When it comes to serving clients, I mean, I think I would think about like, yes, absolutely. You know, there are a lot of people out there who provide completely customized solutions for their clients. And that's totally fine. But at a minimum, if you say, which most advisors do say that they, you know, are value or they provide a high level of service, well, you at least need to define what that means to you at a minimum level and at least be meeting that. Now, however, you know, if that means a certain amount of touches or engagements, like fine, but it doesn't need to be anything complex. But how do you know you're doing that well? I mean, I don't know. Like, how do you know you're doing that well if you say you're 
providing great service and you don't define what that means, I don't know how you know you're doing that well or not. And then I would say the other processes are more around the business. So things like, you know, looking at important metrics, like business metrics quarterly or annually or monthly, whatever cadence you want, you know, there's value to understanding the health of your business via, you know, specific metrics or KPIs in your organization. Like that's just being a responsible business owner. Other, other processes would be around things like, you know, management of your people. Like how do you, I mean, you can just free for all and that's fine. But if you want to get the most out of people, we know that people need the ability to develop. They need to feel valued. They need to understand what's going on. So again, like these, that's a process. Do you do weekly meeting team meetings? Do you do performance reviews? When do these convert, when do you get feedback? So thinking about these, again, these are all just, these are the processes is just the ideal. And it gives you at least the, the baseline in order to like, okay, I at least need to meet this expectation. If I go above it, great. But it gives you, it kind of holds you accountable to at least be performing at a certain level. And and when it comes to the the sales and business development in particular, are there are there specific KPIs that you like to track and look at and focus on? Yeah, definitely. Again, I like to keep it simple. I like to if you're doing marketing, I think it's important to be focusing on how like how is that working? And I would be looking at the number of qualified leads and qualified meaning or quality leads is maybe the right way to say it. So there's you know many attributes to lead, like not all leads are the same. So you need to be clear about what am I trying to accomplish as far as generating leads and what am I actually accomplishing? So I would be looking at the number of leads and then depending on the other attributes of the lead that matter to you, there's five in my perspective, at least it's quality, quantity, warmth, your ability to kind of control like the volume of leads. You got to figure out what matters to you and how close you're coming to that based on what you're doing. Like, is your effort, is there ROI there? So I would start with just the number of leads is one important one. Your conversion rate, so lead to client is another important one that I would be looking at. And what do you, sh- what do you shoot for? What do you consider to be a viable conversion rate? So if you have a, if it, it's that's a tough, I can tell you the stats around it. It's tough to answer because it's your lead to client is going to depend on the warmth of you, your, your lead. So someone who comes in as a referral is a much more likely to convert as a client than someone who fills out a form on your website. That's just the nature of leads. There's different kind of warmth. But industry, according to industry research, lead to client. So again, lead being someone who comes in, say, through your marketing efforts, the average conversion rate is 46%. Once you get that in meeting and you consider them an actual prospect, you actually engage with them, that jumps up and they're you know qualified, that jumps up to 78%. In general, I if someone's actually meeting with me, uh, if I'm in, if I'm working with an advisor and they have someone meeting with them, we assume 75% close rate. Now, I always ask because I'm like, historically, is that feel right? If in some people it's lower, in some people it's higher. So, what surprised you the most about trying to build your own consulting business? As you have to now like create all these marketing and sales and business development processes for yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, what surprised me the most was just the kind of the level of learning, like how much you, how different my perspective today is so different than my perspective a year ago. And I think that one thing I would say for, you know, I'm the type of person who creates plans for people, right? Just like financial plans for 
advisors create for their clients, you need to be flexible. Like you need to allow yourself to change the plan if needed and be like constantly learning along the way and realize that what you think might be a great idea and you start on today might not really work and that's okay. But this, so just the kind of amount of learning has been crazy and exponential and that, and and just really like in the short term, I want to, I focus, I, I need to focus on the things that really matter. So like be open to being, to being flexible and continuing to evolve, but also being disciplined enough to, to have a game plan that you're actually consistently executing on in the short term. And just what, what was it about the perspective that's so different now from where, where you were a year ago? Well, you learn, I mean, just like anyone who started a business, you learn what you really like, what you really don't like, what you're really good at, what you're really not, you know, until you're in it, like you think, you know, and then you go through it and you're like, oh yeah, I would do that differently. Or, you know, like for me, I really shied away from some of the softer stuff in the beginning, like the mindset and the energy and more the coaching side, because I felt like that wasn't valuable enough. Like I, like that's not what people wanted. So that's not what I'm going to focus on. And as I continue to work with clients and I see the results and I see the impact, I, I, and I talk to more and more advisors and partners, like that's the stuff that everyone's struggling with. And that's the stuff that really moves the needle. And it's just a matter of like kind of gaining the confidence to be more explicit and, and gaining the skills too, right? So like, you know, I've done a number of coaching trainings over the last year and I've gotten better at it. I do a lot of reading around it. That's so I've certainly gotten better, but gaining the confidence to like really go the place, like to have the conversations that I want to have that I that are are typically the ones that are more impactful. I just didn't have the confidence in the beginning to do that. So what's been the low point for you on the on this journey? Oh God. I mean, the low point I think is frankly, it's kind of a little bit constant in that I feel like I'm never doing, I'm never successful enough. I mean, it's really hard to be looking on social media and be talking to other, to my peers. And, you know, you hear a lot of success. You tend to, again, iceberg of illusion, you're hearing all the successful stuff. It's hard to kind of continue to maintain the energy. You see everybody else's successful stuff on social media, not all the horrible stuff that was happening behind the scenes over the past three weeks that got to the point where the thing finally worked out okay and they tweeted out the good news and not the three weeks of pain. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so for me, it's a it's a constant practice of like, I, I'm part of a group coaching program. I journal, I work out, like I do a lot of self-care things to keep my energy up. And I know when I am feeling down, I'm really like digging into it. So I have to say, it's not like there's been a specific low point. Well, I shouldn't say that. I would say early, the early, the first three months where I was like, oh my God, what did I just do with COVID? That was scary. But you know, at that point, yeah, what are you going to do? I survived. So what advice would you give younger, newer advisors looking to get started today? So the advice I would give for younger or newer advisors, I mean, first it would be to not try to do it alone. So make sure that you have the support that you need. And whether that's peers, uh, other advisors, whether that's a coach, you know, definitely like trying to force it is hard. Like even as someone who is a subject matter expert in certain areas, like high performance and sales, like it's still hard. You know, there's still times when I don't, I fail and I, and I don't do well in those specific areas. And I'm like, oh my God, like, and the best, the best thing that I've found and the most, the quickest way to get through those things is to not try to figure it out on your own, but to ask for help. So instead of like, how it's it's who can help me i would definitely be focused on who can i get help for instead of trying to figure it out all out on your own and the other thing would be just don't be afraid to fail like experiment 
there's going to be there's all, there's endless opportunity out there. You're, it's not like you're you have limited chances to grow your business to serve your client. Like you can, if you're a good person and you're doing the right thing, you're going to get more opportunity. Like it's have have that abundance mindset of like. I'm going to fail. It's going to be okay. <laughs> the sun will still come up, but I got to try. I got to experiment. I got to do these things in order to grow. So definitely don't do it alone and don't be afraid to fail. So as we wrap up, this is a podcast about success. And, and one of the themes that always comes up is just the word success means very different things to different people. And so you're off on this great path for success with the the new consulting firm, the leads and the opportunities coming in. It's growing. But how do you define success for yourself? So professionally, success is really like redefining sales in the industry. I would love to just like turn that, help people turn the switch in themselves and believing that they like get, get confident. Like I got this, I can do this development work, no problem. So it's really about impact. It's really around educating and having impact in the industry. And I actually, personally, I really believe in having very, having specific goals to work towards. So like today, my, one of my specific goals is I want to win a tennis match on this new tennis team I'm playing. So that's like the very specific goal of success in the short term is I want to get much better at tennis than I am today. I'd be really proud of that accomplishment. And then I'd be on to the next learning to surf is, is probably the next one. Very cool. And so is there a, like a, a master level goal or you just like set new ones every month or every year and, and pick a new, pick a new personal goal every year. Yeah. I have some big ones too. I, we actually have a board in our kitchen and we all have like aspirational experiences or goals that we, we put on a board and we, when we actually accomplish them, we move them down, which is pretty cool to see everything you accomplish. So yeah, like an example, I have many, but one master level level goal is to do a Ted talk and to write a book. And these are all like up on the board to periodically move down. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I think it's important. I want my kids to see like the short-term stuff and the, the bigger stuff too. And they, they can change. That's okay. But yeah, they're all, they're all on the board and the kids have them too. Theirs are a little, little different, but there's, there's still, there's still uh, pretty cool to see them setting those goals at this, this age. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Shauna, for joining us on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.